This is for the men who never settle. The ones who believe only quitters and a game and a tie. The type of guys who choose the bar with the biggest TVs to overcompensate for theirs at home. This is the Lodge mentality. This is Twin Peaks. The Zone is presented by Guaranteed Foods, delivering all natural food to Midwestern families since 1958. Enjoy healthier food, more free time, free delivery, and better value. Go to GuaranteedFoods.com. All right, we continue right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Jason Anderson with you, Josh Briscoe, Dylan Michaels. We'll talk with Todd Lebo coming up an hour from now. Thank you to Adam Teich from ESPN in the previous hour, talking to Chiefs football, heading back to the Super Bowl yet again, four out of five years for this Chiefs organization. What a uh, fantastic run it has been. Uh, we'll talk some college basketball here with Myron Metcalf, our college hoops insider from ESPN, benefiting Jackson County CASA, C-A-S-A, court-appointed special advocates, community volunteers just like you, Stand up and speak out to help children who have experienced abuse or neglect. Jackson County CASA recruits, trains, and supports these CASA volunteers to advocate for the best interests of children who are in the Jackson County family court system until they have a safe and permanent home. JacksonCountyCASA-MO.org. That's JacksonCountyCASA-MO.org. Welcoming Myron Metcalf into the show here on this um Tuesday edition. Myron, what's up, man? How are you, sir? I'm good, man. You all got to be happy down there, huh? I mean, it uh, it continues to be you know tougher and tougher to really uh, dive in headfirst to college basketball uh, around here because of these <laughs> these darned Chiefs that uh, continue to play uh, either the second to last or the last game of the NFL season all of these years, and then you know maybe parades after that, et cetera. Uh, but uh, they did it yet again. And I know you host on um, on Sundays in the mornings, you and Matt and all of that stuff. Um, before we get into some college basketball, I'm, I'm curious because I love your opinion on, on all different types of sports. So uh, what did you make of the Chiefs and Ravens and somehow, some way, this Chiefs team that went 2-4 and four in a six-game stretch this year has found a way to get it done on the road in Buffalo and in Baltimore? Well, I'm, I'm shocked because a bunch of dudes on Twitter told me that they never make it with Taylor Swift in the building. Like I thought, you know, apparently Taylor Swift was going to be the reason uh, that Kansas City never made it back to a Super Bowl. She was going to be the downfall of the organization. So I, I'm shocked because, you know, all these intelligent Twitter people told me that, you know, it wasn't going to work out because of her presence. So. That's a great point. Uh, you know, that's the part that surprised me, right? Yeah, um, that, that is the is, most surprising part, right? <laughs> I mean, what, what a silly, what a silly thing for people to like. She's a big time celebrity. You know, but one of those famous people in the world enjoying games with her, you know, partners, family. Like, let her live. Like, I've never understood that, but uh, it'll certainly make the Super Bowl more exciting. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you do if you're an AFC quarterback, though. Like, this is the year to be Patrick Mahomes. They had that two and four stretch. You know, a couple of them cats that y'all were thrown to, you know, I saw some of those dudes at LA Fitness before they were receivers for Kansas City, right? Like what these weren't necessarily top of the line, some of the guys who were on that roster outside of your Travis Kelsey and the other stars. So people felt like maybe he has some regular players on his roster. Like maybe this is a regular Kansas City team and not an otherworldly team. And then those struggles we saw, I think convinced people as as well. So for him to go to Buffalo, to Baltimore, and win in those difficult environments, it just has to be the most discouraging thing. I think if you're a Lamar 
Jackson or Josh Allen or Joe Burrow obviously is going to get healthy again because he just went on the road and got back to a Super Bowl. You know, without the buy, without without all the luxuries he's had in previous runs. So I don't know. I think we're watching the greatest quarterback of all time. I know Brady beat him a couple times. He he hasn't necessarily earned that yet. But if you just tell me who's the best dude we've ever seen at that position, Patrick Mahomes has already put himself in that conversation. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I think he is um, he's the most talented player I've ever seen play the position. And I'm, I'm lucky that I've uh, seen him take every single snap of his career. Uh, and it's been amazing. And we started off the show today, Myron, talking about uh, the late, great Therese Paler that six years ago today broke the story that the Chiefs were trading Alex Smith and officially uh, starting the Mahomes era. It was six years ago yeah. today. And uh, what an amazing six years it's been, man. Uh, what an amazing six years it has been. I also would have loved for the last uh, few years to have Therese Paler breaking down football for me and uh, learning yeah. learning from him because that guy was brilliant. And uh, I learned so yeah, much football do. from him, man, absolutely. Uh, Myron Medcalf from ESPN is our guest. Let's talk some college football here, or college basketball, I should say. I'll get to the uh, point of it being basketball season eventually, Myron. But yeah, let's, uh, <laughs> let's talk some uh, <laughs> Michigan. Hire Sharon. Let's talk about that. Uh, Harbaugh's on <laughs> college football. Let's get into that. Um, college basketball. Iowa State is already a tough place to play. We know that, and Ames yeah, and Hilton Magic and all of that stuff. And they do the Kansas two-step this past week by uh, taking care of Kansas State and Kansas. Um, and uh, interesting, so after the Kansas State game, uh, we see some of the things that take place in the game, and Jerome Tank's not happy about it, and he doesn't talk about it after the game. And then news comes out that uh, there was at least um, an allegation or something around somebody that might have been videoing. And and um, and then T.J. Otzelberger, after beating Kansas, <laughs> then addresses that situation from the Kansas State game. Uh, what do you make of all of this, um, of, of what's going on uh, and, uh, and Iowa State and Ames and Otzelberger and if uh, there is somebody you know, videotaping somebody's huddle? Uh, and if they are, is it, uh, is it that big of a deal if they are uh, doing that or, or peeking in or trying to um, glean a little bit of what's going on in the huddle? I, don't, I mean, I don't think this is our Michigan – Spygate uh, <laughs> right. situation. I, I think to me, though, what what I think was challenging is if you're Jerome Tang and you're going, you're going to say that, or someone's going to make that allegation. You have to be clear as to what that is, because that's a bigger issue than us just having a conversation at a press conference about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to go beyond that. So it's just hard to say. I, I mean, you know, I, I don't know what the rules are, what exactly, you know, what was happening to say if it violated rules. I will say I think football and basketball are two completely different animals, though, when it comes to that kind of stuff. Like, there's so much analytical data available in college basketball. I mean, I can go to Synergy right now and break down every play of a specific player, you know, that plays for Kansas or Kansas State or Iowa State, and just watch it on a loop. Like, you can do so much that it feels like in our sport, it's not as necessary. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to tell you that Kansas is going to hit Hunter Dickinson in the corner for a three. He's seven feet tall. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you, are you are you bringing in Ralph Sampson? Right, like, right. Like, what are you doing? So I just don't think in our sport you hear that as much because individual talent is the deciding factor. Uh, in, in most games. So I, I don't know. I felt like it, what I think it ultimately did is it, it, it didn't allow TJ 
and the Cyclones to get the credit that I think they deserve. And that's a team that has wins over K-State, Kansas, and now Houston. And, and all of that's going to help on Selection Sunday and however this Big 12 race is decided. So I just think unless you've got concrete allegations, and if you do, mm-hmm. you got to take that to a higher level. Yeah. you got to be careful to me about making those accusations. It can't be, I think this was going on. You're right about that. It's got to be, I know this was going on. I recognize this particular guy. He's from your staff or something like that. And it can't yeah. be like, you know, a, a student doing those things. It, it stood out to me when it when it first happened of like, okay, because we, we didn't know what was taking place. The, the next day we're on the air and, um, you know, Jerome Tang didn't want to address it. TJ Altsberger didn't know what was going on and he wasn't going to address it either. Um, and I'm like, you know, it, 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 adds a little more credence, not knowing what happened, of what may have taken place because Jerome Tang's been in some tough environments before. He's played at Iowa State. He's played mm-hmm. at Kansas. Like, he's heard some things before, um, and he could typically just laugh it off or, you know, water off a duck's back or whatever it might be. This one was different. It got him riled up. He wanted to go over and talk to T.J. Otzelberger. I also think as, a, as an aside, as a sidebar, Myron, I think the officials might have escalated it by coming over and, and pushing Jerome Tang back yeah. to his bench. Like, it looked like he yeah. and T.J. Otzelberger were having just a fine conversation <laughs> about whatever might have been yeah. taking place. Um, and then the officials started escalating it like there was going to be some sort of an argument that was going on. Uh, I, I thought that you know could have been handled yeah. a little bit better. Um, but, but my first reaction was, I haven't seen Jerome Tang do that, and so there must have been something mm-hmm. there that was out of the ordinary that was above and beyond anything that he had experienced because they've played plenty of road games before. Yeah, and I'm not discrediting Jerome Tang. I, yeah, mean, right, I, right. I agree. He's been in the league a long time. And to that conversation, you know, TJ's on his, what, third stint at Iowa State. You know, Jerome's been in the league 20 years. These guys know each other. Yeah. Right? So sometimes we see things on TV or even in a game and we go, oh, man, they're going to fight. No. These guys go to coaching meetings together all the time. Like, you know, no, they're just competitive. So I don't want to take anything away from Jerome Tang, who, who I like a lot. But I just think we're at a point in sports where if you have that kind of an allegation, it has to be concrete. And honestly, it has to go to another level. I mean, we're talking about the Michigan situation because that became an NCAA investigation. So for me, it's like, how far are you taking this? How serious are you about these allegations and what impact do you think they had on the game? They lost by double digits, right? And then they got destroyed by Houston three days later, you know, 74-52. Their third road loss in a row. Is there an element where there's some frustration that Jerome Tang is dealing with just because his team is – not really figured it out uh, in the second half of January, that could be a factor. But we, we just got to get away from, in my opinion, uh, saying things that don't have concrete evidence attached to it. And if there is concrete evidence, you have to show us so that people aren't just guessing uh, when it comes to allegations like that. Because people will say Iowa State's cheating off that stuff, you know, and, and that'll follow them and that'll become a narrative. And that's not fair if you don't have any concrete mm-hmm. evidence attached to it. Maybe Jerome Tang has it, but you got to reveal that. Yeah. Uh, visiting with uh, Myron Medcalf, as far as Iowa State goes, I mean, uh, they're sitting in uh, in second place in the league, I guess a game behind uh, Houston, but uh, in, in the win column being 5-2, and two, Houston being 6-2, and two, but Texas Tech being 5-1. and one. And it's not a position we've seen very often with Kansas sitting there 4-3 and three and two games back of uh, the leader in the conference, you know, seven games in already. And they've got a number of road games going as well. Um, I, I say that, but I don't want to get caught up in the, you know, well, Kansas is in, you know, fourth place right now in the Big 12, 
and play the same role of, well, you know, the Chiefs, they've lost uh, two of six or lost four of six. They've only won two games in the stretch. They don't look like that uh, Chiefs team. They're losing some games. You felt like they could win some close games down the stretch, and they've got a number of games left that are going to be tough, and uh, they find a way to get it done when it matters. Um, There's always a deferral from me to Bill Self in Kansas, uh, but Houston is no slouch, and Texas Tech has gone to Texas and won already, um, and they've you know won a number of games at home. Uh, and Iowa State already has that head-to-head win over Kansas. Um, the, the position that Kansas is in in the uh, the Big Twelve, um, I, I mean, it's it, it's an uh, incredibly good conference. We've talked about that before. How much this uh, Big Twelve conference is? Um, is there an element of uh, Kansas falling behind? Maybe a little too much this early on. Or are we still in the, it's a long season, it's Kansas, it's Bill Self. They'll, they'll get things rolling and uh, find a way to be there in the end. I think everything you just said could, all, could sound like it came from that 2016 season, right? What did mm. they start? 5-3, you know? I think they lost yep. like 2-3, and three, Yep. and then they didn't lose the rest <laughs> of the way until I think they got to the Final Four. Final Four, right? they lost so to Villanova, yeah. Listen, when I talk about Kansas, I always tell people, you know, in terms of the Big 12 streak, think about when the iPhone came out. That feels like forever ago, right? Like, the, I remember when they announced it, and Apple was like, there's an iPhone, it's a phone, but it plays music, and it does all these things. Like, the future was here, right? That KU streak started three years before that. Like, you know what I mean? So, I, you know, I, I'm not going to bet against Kansas in these circumstances. I think the league is more difficult, clearly. Yeah. Welcome to... Uh, uh, expansion, realignment, we're now, oh, yeah, by the way, Houston's coming. Some of these leagues are, are getting, you know, programs that are not at that level. Let's be honest. Like, some of this real uh, this realignment stuff is like, it's not really changing your league. But for a Final Four team, a national title contender to just step into your league, who else has experienced that? So I think it's the Houston element and just how good they are. That's a factor. Iowa State, I think, has taken that leap. No one saw Texas Tech coming. Can Kate, can they keep it going? I think that's going to be a valid question. But, yeah, when you lose at UCF, all of a sudden maybe that hurts you a little bit. This might be one of the most difficult fights, you know, to, mm-hmm. to win another championship. But when I look down the stretch, Houston has to go still to Lawrence. Baylor has to go still to Lawrence. Oklahoma. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry. Texas has to go to Lawrence. BYU has to go to Lawrence, yeah. and Kansas State has to go to Lawrence. So, those are still a bunch of games where you're going to have to win in a building where Kansas rarely loses. So, I still think Kansas will be at the top, maybe battling in Houston for that championship. Uh, but I'm not in the in the spot now where it's like, oh, they're too far back because I've seen this movie before with them, and they found a way to finish out. Visiting with Meyer Metcalf from ESPN. Uh, looking across the nation outside of uh, the local uh, teams, uh, is UConn doing their UConn thing? Uh, Dan Hurley and uh, UConn, I mean, winning by 40 points against Xavier, winning by 20 points against Creighton, um, you know, getting the win at Villanova certainly, um, you know, is a, a good win, uh, along with some of the other wins they've already had. The the, the loss um, in uh, at Seton Hall, and then they lost um, against Kansas uh, as well, and that was a close one. That was a fun one, but... You know, uh, they didn't turn it on until like late February and March last year. They had a little bit of a, a struggle there mm-hmm. uh, in February, uh, but 
I mean, they're just playing phenomenal basketball right now. Top 20, I think, still in, in uh, both offense and defense of, of Ken Palm. And Tristan Newton doing uh, doing his thing and uh, a number of other guys and Klingon and all of that stuff. But, I mean, uh, it, it, is, is this a – a year of Dan Hurley sort of announcing that UConn's not going to be a collection of uh, some guys that came together for one special run last year and won the national championship, and then it'll go back to, to other teams. That this is a we're not going anywhere sort of prove it year for for UConn. Yeah, I mean, you know, the benefit is that he had guys from that team come back. Mm-hmm. You know, which rarely happens. So Tristan Newton was on that team. Donovan Clingan. Alex Carabin. So he had a bunch of guys who are on that team who are back now, which is just such a, a rare thing, you know. And then you bring in a transfer like Cam Spencer and how good he's, be, he's been, Stephen Castle, uh, NBA prospects. So it's all just kind of come together. I love Solomon Ball, Samson Johnson, I'm sorry, the big man, you know, who, who just has filled in so well with Donovan Klingon. I just think he got veterans, he got the right transfer, and you got the right young guys, and they're just continuing to dominate. They're better offensively, I think, than last year's team. Last year's team was better defensively, but this team's better mm-hmm. offensively. They make like 37% of their threes, 50% of their shots inside the arc. I mean, they are a machine right now. Um, so, you know, we haven't seen a back-to-back champion college basketball since Florida in 06 and 07. I mean, that just shows how hard it is to do it again. But, you know, I don't think anybody would fault someone for betting on Connecticut to, to do it again based on what we've seen so far and just how dominant they've been. Uh, like you said, just like last year, they are really destroying teams, and not just teams, good teams. Mm-hmm. Um, they look like they're on that same collision course with another national championship. Yeah, visiting with uh, Myron Metcalf from ESPN. Uh, things continue to get worse uh, and worse for uh, Kenny Payne in uh, in Louisville. Uh, they they're trailing what forty one to thirteen at halftime 13, yeah. at home against Virginia. Yeah. Virginia's pretty good defensively, <laughs> but yeah. uh, forty one to thirteen. I mean, I've I've heard some things to where like they don't want to fire Kenny Payne because they don't really have somebody that they trust to be the interim <laughs> on the staff for him. That it's sort of just like going through the rest of the season. Um, the the thing about college basketball, I think, that is a, at least a benefit to a program like that is, you know, in college football, if you have this tough run and you lose recruits and it's tougher to get back in the home of summer recruits and it takes a little while to build up your depth and, and your high-end players and then guys that can come in and play if those guys go down, et cetera, that a place like that, an arena like that, tradition like that, and money like that, in theory – they can be a one year to the next turnaround, right? If they find the right guy and not, you know, make a mistake with Chris Mack and then make a mistake with Kenny Payne that they've done the last two go arounds. Yeah, I mean, I think it's beyond the right coach. It's key to get the right talent too, right? Because yeah. you know, the transfer portal has really put teams like that in a tough spot where there was sort of like this baseline where a team like Louisville would never fall below. You know, you knew they can get a couple of kids who were high-level talents, a couple of good transfers, and then they have some returning bets. So you can kind of count on them to, to always be respectable. And now with everything falling apart, you know, I don't know how much room the next person has to do. I mean, you hear names like Mick Cronin, I'm like, man, that's a, that's a big <laughs> thing to dig out of based mm-hmm. on 
the drama. I mean, if you're a Louisville fan, what you've gone through since 2013 is pretty amazing. I mean, you've had multiple scandals, right? You've had multiple coaches get fired or leave the program uh, amid scandal or controversy. You've missed out on some of the top talent while you've watched your biggest rival, Kentucky, grab all these NBA guys. You know, it's easy to see Louisville being like, you're a former kind of blue-chip school now. You know, you, you were in that group, but it doesn't feel like that anymore. And I think the more you lose, the, the more it appears that you're not as serious about getting back to that level. I, I like Kenny Payne, the person. Um, and I know Kenny Payne from people around him who, who say that his message has been amid all this, he wants to keep coaching. That's what he's telling everybody. He wants to keep coaching, doesn't want them to sort of put him out of his misery, so to speak. He wants to keep going. That's okay. That doesn't mean he should. Like, I just don't know who, who this helps. Mm-hmm. Like, if he ends up being a guy with seven or eight wins and 23, 24 losses or whatever it's going to be, who does that help? Like, what's the value of that? And then how do you show the next coach that you're serious about building if you kind of let this happen? So I think Louisville's in a tough spot, but I don't think they're in a get-the-right-coach-everybody-bounces-back mode. I think they're in mm. – they got to make some serious changes and perhaps change their expectations because it's going to be harder than ever to bounce back in this era with transfer portal and NIL. People talk about how fast you can build, yes, but also how fast you can fall if you don't find a way to get into a rhythm. Myron Metcalf is our guest from ESPN, our College Hoops Insider. Last one for you, uh, Missouri taking on Arkansas tomorrow night. Uh, KU and K-State in action tonight. Um, uh, Oklahoma versus uh, Kansas State uh, home game, and then uh, KU uh, home game against Oklahoma State. Um, Mizzou is uh, taking on Arkansas this weekend, and uh, Eric Musselman in, in uh, year number five for him at Arkansas. Last three years, Elite Eight, Elite Eight, Sweet 16, but a 500 record right now, and and one in six in conference play. Uh, what's going on in Fayetteville as to you know uh, what we've seen from this team and why they have lost six of seven games? Well, I think this is the same team talent wise. You know, they've been in the last couple of years. They've had some NBA level guys. Um, I think the SEC is stronger. Um, I think the SEC is really strong, and they've had you know just tough games against good teams, especially on the road. I mean, I don't know how they lost Georgia, uh, but you lose to Auburn at home, and they got destroyed. Uh, that's a team that's played really well. South Carolina's better mm-hmm. um, than they've been in in, in the past. Uh, Ole Miss, Chris Beard. So, like, I think the SEC is just stronger than it was. And, you know, Musselman was bringing in all these top transfers a couple years ago. He did it at Nevada when he made that run to, to the Elite Eight. But now everybody's doing it. I mean, that's what I talked to Fred Hoiberg about. It's like everyone's doing the transfer portal thing. So the options are different. There was a time when coaches would be like, I'm not taking any transfers. You know, we're not going to build our team that way. Now everybody's building that way. So the Eric Musselmans of the world don't have that pipeline, the talent, the way I think they did even a couple of years ago. Uh, but this team just isn't good. Can't shoot threes. Defense isn't great. They don't look like they play together. Um, it just looks like a bunch of dudes out there. And that wasn't the way it was, I think, these past couple of years when he had uh, all of that success. But having elite NBA-level talent 
um, changes a lot. And, and even the slightest drop from that, this is what you see now at Arkansas. Yeah. Unfortunately for Missouri, I, I see a uh, two- or three-point victory for uh, Arkansas. Uh, eventually, Missouri will figure it out, and um, they'll get a win yeah, in the conference I play. I, I, I think they'll eventually figure it out and get it. Not figure it out and turn things around, figure it out and get a win in conference play is uh, really the expectation at this point right yeah. now is uh, the next step for this team. It's been a rough go of it. Myron Metcalf from ESPN, our Hoops Insider. Myron, you're the man. Appreciate the time as always, brother. We will uh, We will talk next week, man. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. There's Myron Metcalf. Great stuff from him. As always, Hoops Insider. Um, and uh, certainly he'll have a lot of conversation around the Super Bowl as, uh, you know, you hear him on the weekends right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB with uh, ESPN. And when Myron Metcalf, and we have him on from ESPN, it's benefiting Jackson County Casa. Court-appointed special advocates, community volunteers just like you, they stand up and speak out to help children who have experienced abuse or neglect Jackson County CASA recruits, trains, and supports these CASA volunteers to advocate for the best interests of children who are in the Jackson County family court system until they have a safe and permanent home. It's jacksoncountycasa-mo.org to check them out. jacksoncountycasa-mo.org. We will take a timeout. We'll come back, continue rolling. Todd Lebo joins us at 1 o'clock. More's on next. Thank you to Myron Metcalf talking some college hoops there. 913-912-4810, the text line. We'll hang out with Todd Lebo, Sports Radio 810 WHB Insider. Joining us at 1 o'clock, some fact or fiction an hour from now. Chiefs will be at the podium coming up Thursday and Friday, or locker room, whatever. Uh, they'll have some um, media availability before they head to uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, to take on the San Francisco 49ers in Super Bowl, oh, what is this one, 58? 58, baby. DT. DT. Yep. Super Bowl Derek Thomas. Yep. That's how, that is immediate. I happened to be wearing my Derek Thomas shirt for post game. I had not given it that thought. It just sort of worked out that way. And uh, I saw somebody tweeted the, the Derek Thomas Super Bowl. Like, oh, that's going to be how I remember it all week. So did you see the, uh, the Swifty that put everything together as to why the Chiefs are going to win? No, but I cannot bleep and wait. So you know her favorite number is 13, 13 right? 13, yes, I knew that. Super Bowl 58. Okay. Five plus eight is 13. Uh huh. They are playing on February 11th. Two, okay, plus, two plus 11, 11. is 13. Uh huh. This will be Taylor Swift's 13th game she has attended this year. Amazing. The 49ers, nine plus, four plus nine is 13. Wow. And it's a one seed versus a three seed. Wow. 13. And 87 minus 58 is. Well, 87 plus 13 equals 100. Well, that's true. 87 minus 58 29. Is 29. That's Eric Berry's number. Divide 29 by 3, and you get 9.6 repeating. Multiply that by 3 again, you get to 29. Add 13, Taylor Swift's favorite number, you get 42, Anthony Sherman. 4 plus 2 is 6. <laughs> Multiply it by two, add one, 13 again. This is the universe speaking to everybody. It's it, You know what I said to the universe? I said, speak now. Or forever hold your... Speak now is an early Taylor Swift album. Is it? I think that's the one with the 
purple album cover. Rain. Red and purple, the colors of the Super Bowl logo. I mean, it's all coming up 13. It's your favorite number. 13. It's beaten now. Purple. Nailed it. 13th game of the year. That. February 11th. 2 plus 11 is 13. Super Bowl 58. 5 plus 8 is 13. They're playing the 49ers. 4 plus 9 is 13. And it's a one seed versus a three seed, 13. It's amazing. It's un- it is inarguable. I mean, the Chiefs are going to win by 13, right? Travis Kelsey's 34. You subtract 13 from that, you get to 21. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is Mike Edwards' number, I think. They're going to win by 13. I guess you got to pick them to win by exactly 13, 26 right? 26 to 13. Increments do- of 13. Oh. I feel like at this point, we all owe it to ourselves. Not a big bet, but but a couple of dollars to go pick the Chiefs to win by exactly 13 points. That's right. I feel like we owe it to ourselves. I'm going to see if I can find the odds on that. Of exactly 13? Yeah, because you can do exact totals on some stuff sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You can use you can do exact scores. You can do range of scores, winning margin. I imagine they'd all be things. ready to go. The, you know, the Super Bowl is going to have every prop bet you've ever wanted there'll be a lot of several you don't yeah there'll be a lot of props there there'll be some combination props of uh you know throw some nba throw some college basketball throw some points versus yards and things like that etc etc there'll be all of that going on with the prop this isn't exactly the same but Uh i feel like it might at least function the same way uh if you were to put 10 bucks just for easy multiplication on the chiefs minus 12 and a half uh, you, you'd be getting uh, ten dollars to win sixty three fifty. Okay, I guess cool. I would need I wouldn't need to bet thirteen dollars. Okay, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do it <laughs> you right gotta now. Bet thirteen bucks. What are you doing? Okay, so I'm going to bet a dollar and thirty cents <laughs> because thirteen cents is honestly kind of sad. But I'm gonna bet a dollar thirty on the Chiefs <laughs> minus twelve and a half right now to win eight dollars and twenty five cents. Hell yeah. There you go. I don't think I can do $13 on this. I don't. Extra value meal is in your future. I'm doing it. You did it? Buck oh, my goodness, done. dude. You done. bet a dollar thirty. Done. I've always said only bet what you're willing to win. That's where I'm at right now. Yep. Dylan, could you Venmo me a dollar twenty-five real quick? Real fast. I got it. Well, real quick. It's okay. You're saving all the money on the uh, in Spags We Trust shirts you're not buying. <laughs> I, I have already given... Some hints about some fact or fiction things. I cannot put Lebo in a in a deeper disadvantage. Uh, it'll probably but there is a, spa- a there, there is a in Spags We Trust t-shirt question that I have to I must protect that one. It'll probably end up being a tie. So no way, we're winning in regulation today. I right? definitely don't adore is my tiebreaker right? enough to force a mm-hmm. tie out of the whole deal. Mm-hmm. Jason, elections aren't real, Anderson. <laughs> Well, I'm the one that actually wants to play by the rules. That's true. That's, that is so true. I'm like, I don't feel this is like a tie oh, at yeah, all. No, nope, just... it's a tie. I kind of feel like we should uh, count them up again. You're the one asking for a recount. Recount. You're like, I, I, guys, I just, I, this doesn't seem right. I just want to stick right. to, the, uh, to the actual you know, numbers Kornacki here. Steve Kornacki is on my TV. He said Jason by six. I don't. Why is it? What do you mean it's tied? <laughs> What's going on? All precincts have reported, and it is not a tie at all. Jason, you dummy. You don't even know about the factor fiction electoral college. Oh. Some questions are worth more than other questions. Great point. That is a really good point. That's how it works. Oh, man. I need to focus more on those uh, purple questions. Yes. Those so, swing questions. Really swing those questions. Those swing questions are so important. Todd and Dylan just keep grabbing those swing questions, and um, uh, I'm just sticking with my base. <laughs> that's right. You're, you're in the fact belt. Yeah. But... Work smarter, not harder there, guy. <laughs>
Unbelievable. Uh, so the, the Chiefs have talked about uh, the Raiders yeah. being somewhat of a turning point. Adam Teicher talked about that with us as well, that, um, you know, people have discussed that. And, and uh, uh, Andy Reid yesterday saying um, it, it was a, a good wake-up call for us. Had to step things up. It won't fall in our lap uh, after that Raiders game. Um, and so we're like, okay, so what was different? What do they do different? Did they do anything different? Was it just like, okay, we need to focus more, whatever that might be. Uh, offensively, are they doing anything different? So I went back and looked um, and, you know, take away from this what you will. Maybe there's nothing really to take away. Maybe there's a little bit to take away from this. But I looked at the uh, Patriots and, and Raiders game, so the two games before, you know, they started to, quote, turn things around uh, essentially offensively. And in both of those games, Ten different players got targets. Nine different players had receptions in those games. Interesting. Okay. In the Cincinnati, Miami, Buffalo, and Baltimore game, three of those four games, the most was seven targets or seven receptions. Seven receivers? Seven receivers. Cincinnati, seven receivers made a catch. Miami, it was nine, so that was close. Buffalo and Baltimore both with seven. So it's down from what it was when we were talking about nine, ten. Hey, you know, he targeted 11 guys. This is so cool how all these guys are getting involved. And we're like, okay, when do you finally shrink the bench? I don't know if it came time to them just uh, shrinking the bench uh, bench at that point. But um, in that, um, so I I looked at the the two games, Patriots and Raiders. Then I looked at the four games since, taking away the Chargers game because, uh, you know, I don't really care about that one because that's skewed. Or it can skew. It may have helped the numbers. I don't know. Uh, but it can skew. So I looked at, um, well, I guess it would uh, skew the numbers because I looked at Kelsey, Rice, and the running backs. Sure. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, it would skew some yeah. things. So Kelsey, right, that would absolutely skew yeah. things if uh, Kelsey and Rice didn't even play. Yeah. Uh, so Kelsey, Rice, and the running backs mm-hmm. and targets for Patrick Mahomes versus essentially, you know, everybody else. Right. That includes Justin Watson and Richie James and MVS and McCullough Hardman and Kadarius Tony, Noah Gray, you know, who is Noah still Gray, in the mix. Absolutely. But... Blake Bell that's yep. gotten some targets uh, along the way. So, everyone else. So, in the Raiders and Patriots game, those guys, everyone else, had 28 targets. In the Patriots and Raiders game. So the two games before the whole, like, uh, come to Jesus moment. Mm-hmm. Um, the four games since, they have a total of 40 targets. So twice as many games, only 13 more targets that have been there. They went from 14 targets per game in those two games, small sample size, mm-hmm. to 10 targets per game in those four. So that's four fewer targets per yeah. game. The triumphant of Rice, Kelsey, combined running backs. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's, you know, four of them. Um, they have gone from 80% catch rate in those two games to the four games since 86% catch rate. 68 receptions on 79 targets Wow, have taken place. Uh, essentially 20 targets per game um, in those four games since the uh, Patriots and Raiders game. And again, you've gone from nine receivers getting receptions down to seven. You might be like, well, yeah, but Tony's been injured, and those guys have been in and out. That's fine, but Tony's been injured, and then Ross played. Right. And, well, Richie James is in there, yeah. And then they brought back McCole Hardman, Hardman and then Hardman came back. So, you know, you've had a number of different guys that have been in there that they've had active and have receptions in that time. In fact, in the New England game and the Raiders game, 
you had guys, including Blake Bell, Kadarius Toney, Justin Ross, um, Richie James, MVS, Blake Bell, Noah Gray, and Justin Watson all get targets in those two games alone. <laughs> I mean, I, nothing against him, but I don't want to see Blake Bell getting targets right. in the playoffs. And he hasn't been. And Richie James got one target in the game against the uh, against the Baltimore Ravens. I want to see Rice, Kelsey, running backs. That's it. And... I think four targets per game is a pretty decent number. Like a, it, it, pretty sizable from 14 targets per game down to 10 targets per game for the guys not named Kelsey Rice and running backs. Maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe there's other running concepts that happen. Uh, maybe it's just who Mahomes is finding and it's just circumstance or something like that and it just is coincidental. Um, but we've been wondering if they would truncate and shorten the bench for this, you know, receivers group and playing time a little bit of that, but certainly target share is 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 happening. I think it's a combination of a lot of things. The one thing that you said that I do not think it is is coincidental. <laughs> I, I think that's the one thing that I'm willing to rule out because especially when you look at the I haven't done all the numbers for any of this, but I, I am confident it was true against Baltimore. The first ten or fifteen targets of Patrick Mahomes were, with maybe one exception against Baltimore, there was the all pass of those to Justin, guys. There was a pass to Justin Watson on uh, second down or third down that hit him right in the eight and the four. Yeah. When he looked up and the ball hit him in the eight and the four. So, and I was like, oh, thank you for catching that, Justin. That was in that, because he ended up actually going with 11 for 11 to open the yeah, game, I think, the, right? the 12th target was to Richie James. There you go. That okay. broke the streak. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, uh, yeah, so, oh, God, that's exactly right. I want to go look through, and uh, I actually want to look through and see while you're talking yeah. uh, the targets that went to non-Kelsey Rice and running backs. I, I think what that reflects, and also just seeing how the offense has been working, is an effort to start with those three guys. Kelsey's not going to be on the field for every single play. Also, I don't think we've mentioned this yesterday because it was early in the game and a lot of other important things happened. They had Isaiah Pacheco running routes on Sunday. Like, he ran a real wide receiver route in that opening drive, I think. Could have been the second, but I think it was the opening drive. I I think that what you're seeing with those three guys being the centerpieces as far as the weapons go is everything is starting with them. That's the goal. The first read is going to be to one of them. The second read is hopefully going to be to one of them. There will be plays that either extend and break down or that you do end up with the matchup you want. MVS for the game icing play, I think Mahomes said, somebody said that the first read was to Kelsey. I think Mahomes said the first read there was to Kelsey. Mm -hmm. They They crashed in on him, and then MVS opened downfield. Yep. Crunch time, your first look is Travis Kelsey. The defense knows that, they react as such, and then you get MVS in a good matchup, that's when you have to go to the supporting cast. You have to go to the supporting cast when they have a great matchup, win their rep, one-on-one. You just got to hope they come down with it. There's You don't want to force that to Kelsey double-covered. I appreciate you continue to filibuster as I'm tallying these things. You just, give, you just call for a fair catch when you've got it. <laughs> But I, I really do think that that's the path. Like, that that was the purposeful sort of shortening of, okay, we're done with Kadarius Tony after the Patriots game. We are going to run the ball more often. We are going to start with Kelsey and Rice and Pacheco, and we're not trying to find the fourth option. This is a three-option team with circumstances that have you go to one of the other guys. Either, again, circumstantially of mm-hmm. everybody else is covered and the play is broken down, or the circumstances of, you know what they're not going to see here? The time for the Noah Gray play. That's different than like, nope, just keep spreading it around, Pat. You just look around, you know, start with wherever you're supposed to start and, and let it run. I, I think this has been purposeful, and obviously I think it's been working. So um, Patrick Mahomes went uh, 11 for 11, mm-hmm. 
to targets to Travis Kelsey, Rasheed Rice, and running backs. All right, nice. Got it. He then went uh, the rest of that drive, because it was that second drive. Mm -hmm. He had the incomplete pass to Richie James and the complete pass to Noah Gray. Yep. Uh, And then he completed a pass to Travis Kelsey uh, as well. So the first two drives, Patrick Mahomes was 12 for 12 targeting Kelsey, Rice, and running backs and was 1 for 2 targeting anybody else. That, and that's how it's felt all year, too. Yeah. It's just the ratios seem like they're changing a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and it was, and look, it wasn't 45 yards down the field. It was, here's six yards, yep. you know, average depth of target. You know, here's five yards, here's six yards, here's a throw down the line of scrimmage, let that guy do the work. Um, you know, swing over to uh, to Clyde edwards lair or, you know, uh, Isaiah Pacheco, run the ball a little bit. Okay, here's Kelsey. All right, convert this, you know, fourth down. Okay, convert this third down. Because also that second drive when they went up 14-7, to they had a third and one in which Mahomes, I think that was the lob to Kelsey, when he just hit the little floater in the yeah, lane, just ridiculous. lobbed. Ball felt like it was up there for 10 seconds. It was legit a jumper, absolutely. Um, so that was third and one. And then third and four, Mahomes hits Rasheed Rice for nine yards. And then third and five, Mahomes hits uh, Travis Kelsey for 10 yards. And then third and three, and that was the, uh, was that the, the, the dive? I think so. Yeah, that was the dive. That's was third, the scramble, third and, fall away. Third and five, spinning scramble. dive. Yeah, spinning yeah. dive. And then third and three, Mahomes scrambles on his left um, and picks up four yards. So the four third downs they converted were Kelsey, Rice, Kelsey, Mahomes scramble on that drive. It wasn't, uh, let's try to throw a little quick out to Kadarius Tony, or let's hand off to Kadarius Tony, or let's throw it to Justin Watson, a uh, possession receiver, if he's even that. Let's find, you know, McCole Hardman. Let's do a gadget play here. It was, let's throw it to Kelsey. Let's throw it to Rice. Let's throw it to Kelsey. And then drop back, going to find somebody. And then Mahomes, you know, runs up the middle and then outruns Roquan Smith uh, to the uh, to the sticks. Which was good because Roquan Smith was really very physical. Um, just not fast enough to keep Mahomes from getting there to keep it a 10-7 game instead of the Chiefs punching it in and picking up four more points to make it 14-7. to I'm just with like a, a little more of the narrative detail of my notes here from that second drive. Those yeah. third downs were all crazy, man. Third and one is the play action floater over Hamilton to Kelsey for six. I just like I said, it just a, I wrote I wrote the phrase just a jumper. You just said it was a jumper. <laughs> like it just it just was a jumper. Floater in the lane. It's crazy. So then you get third and four. That's the one to Rice across the middle. He kind of jams his knee on the tackle yep, a little bit. Right. Like, what's going on there? Uh, then third and five is the. The dive and, and horizontal. And then third and three is Mahomes taking off and running for four that gets them into goal to go. And like that, I, I, these, we've seen drives fall apart on way less heroic plays than that. We have seen Chiefs games fall apart and way less obvious moments than that. Converting those four third downs in those four different ways is really remarkable. He targeted Kelsey Rice and the running backs. 26 times. He completed 25 passes. <laughs> Kelsey Rice running backs. That's crazy. 25 of 26. Crazy. Was Mahomes. And you can do the math from that point since he was 30 of 39, um, which means he 13. Was... <laughs> we'll take a time out more so next. All 
All right, to put a bow on that conversation we were just having about uh, targets, target share, um, the uh, the secret sauce being the obvious sauce of a uh, throwing it to uh, Rice, Kelsey, and running backs has been advantageous. Um, it's obvious, but numbers to back it up as well. Uh, in the game against the Baltimore Ravens, Patrick Mahomes was 25 of 26 targeting Kelsey, Rice, and running backs. For 179 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions, a 109 quarterback rating when targeting those guys. Everybody else, they got a target. He was 5 of 10 for 62 yards and a quarterback rating of 69.5. Not that nice. It's it's somewhat nice. 50 points lower in quarterback rating, targeting Kelsey Rice and running backs as opposed to the other guys on the team. And, And it makes sense, but... Think about that. The other guys on the team were getting so many different targets throughout the year. It's like, why is this offense struggling? Why is Mahomes? He's not putting up those great numbers. Also, when we talked about everything in that first hour, imagine this team without one particular seventh-round running back and a rookie wide receiver. I don't want to imagine. Why would you make me imagine that? Forget I even said that. Yeah, I'm going to imagine them in the Super Bowl against the 49ers. Good call. Reality.